Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 9. 2 Kings chapter 9. We're going to be beginning in verse 1. But really, if you remember when we left in last lesson, uh, we continue with the downfall. Now, the northern uh, nations, the uh, ten nations, which we call Israel, uh, continue with the downfall of the southern nation of Judah. Well, what do you mean? Well, they continue to join with, for the sake of peace, they keep trying to join with the northern nations and fight their battles. And what happens is it's, it's kind of like uh, evangelical dating. You end up the one who gets lost. And Judah, the king in Judah, wants to have peace with his brothers and sisters in the northern kingdom. So he keeps trying to help them. And it's really uh, the southern kingdom of Judah that's going to follow straight into bondage, straight into Babylon, straight into God's judgment upon them because the northern tribes have been apostate for so many years. If you remember uh, Jeroboam and his golden calves when they left Solomon's son Rehoboam because he would not consent to uh, lower the, the burden upon them as he took over Solomon's uh, throne. But God had said that because of Solomon's sin, he would judge it. But he wouldn't do it during Solomon's reign. He would do it during his son's reign. So his son had barely taken the throne when God allowed this division, a split of the kingdoms. And now what we're rehearsing is northern kingdoms, which are apostate. They're worshiping golden calves in Samaria and in uh, uh, Ramah, I believe. And then Judah is still down in Jerusalem. And that's why Jeroboam set those up. He didn't want the people going back to Jerusalem and him losing all of his power and prestige and pomp. He wanted them to stay in the northern area where they were at. So he sets them up other places to worship. And really, that's what the devil does to us. He sets us up all of these idols and places to worship so we still feel religious. We still feel like we're following God. But we've walked away from the presence of God and we're doing our own thing. And now, for the sake of peace, we see um, Ahaziah joining with Joram. Joram is the king of the northern kingdoms that are apostate. Ahaziah, Jehoshaphat's son, is the king now of the southern uh, Judah, which is it's just called Judah. It's the southern nation, uh, the nation of or the tribe of Judah, and about half the tribe of Benjamin stayed uh, when they all fled. And if you would remember with me in uh, 2 Kings 8, 25 through, um, looks like 29, something like that. Yeah, 29. Remember, they went to war together uh, against Syria. And Joram, Ahab's son, uh, Ahab and Jezebel, Joram gets injured. He's wounded by the Syrians at, at Ramoth Gilead uh, in verse 29 of chapter 8. Then King Joram went back to Jezreel. See, Jezreel was the capital city where they ruled the northern kingdoms. Ahab and Jezebel built this huge temple there that they were worshiping at and ruling from. He went back to Jezreel to recover from his wounds, which the Syrians had inflicted on him at Ramah. 
when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria, and Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, uh, king of Judah. So Ahaziah is king of Judah. Joram is still king of the northern kingdoms. Went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. Now, he wasn't just sick. It's really strange. He got wounded. He's down there. He's seeing him. You look at Second Chronicles. I believe it says that God struck him. Maybe it's chapter 22 of Second Chronicles. God struck him in his intestines with something, and then later his intestines fall out, uh, I think was what the narrative was, and he dies. Um, so then we get to chapter 9, and we see that God's about to bring about judgment. See, the long-suffering of God is amazing. God is such a long-suffering God. In fact, I think it's in uh, uh, um, Second Peter that God says, uh, uh, what's he say about the Lord is not I'll read it to you let me just read it to you the Lord is not slack it's uh, 3 9 of Second Peter concerning his promise as some count slackness but he is long suffering toward us not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance so that, that is for salvation but at the same time He's always going to do what he said he's going to do. And he said he was going to judge the house of Ahab. He said he was going to judge Jezebel. He said that this was going to happen. And sometimes, you know, people think, oh, well, I must have got away with it. Because God has not judged me. Listen, no one sits around in their sin, in their rebellion, and refusing to obey God's government and thinks that they're going to get away with it and really do. See, for one, it's all been laid upon Jesus, if you know Jesus. The punishment's already been taken for our sin. But two, if you're not covered in the blood, God is going to bring judgment and justice for the sin committed against him and those of the house of the synagogues of Satan that reject the government of God. That's what we have on our planet. We always have two governments. Now, I know we might live self-willed. We might follow this or follow that or be an idolatry. But there's always two governments. There's the government of God that's really going to last for eternity. And then there's the government of the devil that's been allowed to just tempt and test and try our hearts for this small period here on earth. And so, are we going to follow, as Eve did, the government of the devil and reject God's word and edicts? Or are we going to follow God now and the second Adam, Jesus, who brings life because he took our punishment and he gives us truth to open our eyes and understand the government of God uh, in and, and this time of grace. So right now, as God in his mercy meets out grace, we should come to repentance because he's only going to long suffer for a small time. And people think that they're getting away with their sin. They think that they're getting away with their plans. They think that they're getting away with killing people by bringing disease and disaster and fear upon a nation, upon a world. But they're not going to get away with it. Unless they repent, they will be judged one day by Almighty God and cast into eternal fire forever. But today is the day for salvation. So as we begin chapter 9, we read, And Elisha, Elisha means God is salvation. Remember that. 
God is salvation. He's the only one that can deliver from this life. He's the only one that can deliver from the government of the devil. Whether it's because of force or bondage or because of our own sin and our own flesh, the only one that can deliver is the blood of Jesus from the government, from the power, from the lie of the wicked one. God is salvation. He is a deliverer. So Elisha the prophet called one of his sons, one of his children, King James, of the prophets uh, and said to him, Get yourself ready. Gird your loins, King James. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now listen, I want to just stop and just, before we get into the, the, the heart of this and what he's telling him to do, notice Elisha the prophet, he can't go there because everybody knows who he is. And if he moves, people know. And now listen, remember, we've been studying this at quite length, and we understand that anytime you see the prophet, it's, it's almost synonymous with the Word of God that we now carry and read. Because the Word of God came from the prophet to the people. And it was always correct. It was never wrong. And this Bible is inerrant. This Word that we have here of what God has done, what He's doing, what He's going to do, it's perfect. And Elisha is right now currently the prophet of God who's bringing the word to the people. So when we see this word coming, we know it's from God, and we know it's perfect, and we know it's going to happen, and we can count it just like us. As we read the Bible and hear from God, we should learn to obey God. But notice what he says. He called one of his children of the prophets because they were always discipling somebody else. God's people were always training the next generation. We just so happen to have gotten sleepy and, and comfortable. And much like Sodom and Gomorrah, we stopped doing any of that in America. We stopped doing any of that in the church. All we, and I'm not saying emphatically, but we don't, we're not concerned about others, which is what love would be. All we're concerned about is what we're getting. We're not worried about others. And I'm not speaking against God's bride because his bride knows what they're doing. There should be no conviction or guilt or anything. If it's the bride and you're about the Lord's business, you're fine. But for the main part, we've taught this away. We put it upon pastors. We put it upon hired staff. And it's not the body of Christ do doing the work of the ministry like a, 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 like a spiritual hospital where all of these servants and aides come to the help of others. But it is simply just a paid position, a career, not a calling, not an anointing from God uh, to continue to train the next generation and pass the torch. These, they took it seriously. These, they had places where they housed them and they, they taught them the word of God and about God. Uh, and, and, and we don't get a lot about it, but we see it all the way through the Bible. So he calls one of those children uh, of the prophets and he said to him, Gird your loins. Listen, when you gird your loins, you knew you was getting ready to go on a mission for God. You knew you was getting ready to go to war. You knew that there was something serious to go on. And it's the same as in Ephesians 6. He says, gird your loins with truth. What's he getting ready to give him? He's getting ready to give him the word of truth because he's going to go deliver a message. And that's what we're called to do. We've been given a message from God, the word of God. We're supposed to gird our loins and learn that word and make ourselves ready to go and anoint others. <clears throat> and that's what he's doing. He's going to fulfill the word of God. Gird your loins. Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand. And go where? To Ramoth Gilead. 
That's the heights. That's what it means, the heights of Gilead. <clears throat> now, when you arrive at that place, look, notice the detail of the instruction. I just want you, we were just talking before study about uh, uh, Jesus telling his disciples to go and get a donkey because it's getting ready to be the, uh, 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 the, the 14th and the Nisan, and he's getting ready to ride into Jerusalem. And it's that time for him to come in on that beast of burden, and people are going to say, Hosanna, Hosanna. And so it was so detailed. It had already been prophesied in the Old Testament uh, a couple different times, and then now he gives them detailed message, the Word of God living incarnate. Jesus said, Go into the city opposite Bethany, and when you find this man, you're going to see a donkey tied to a post. And if they say to you, why are you loosing the donkey? Then say to the man, the master has need of it, and he will say, take it to him then. See, there was detail. There was, it, it was a perfect conversation in the spirit. And so God tells them, and this is what the word of God is telling this child of the prophets who was ready and willing and he was ready to gird his loins and he was ready to obey the word of God and ready for war. And he said, now when you arrive at that place, see the specific instruction. That was my point that the word of God gives us. It's very clear. It's, it's picturesque, if you will. Picturesque, if you will. And that's what the Hebrew is. It's in 3D. It's a word. It's in number. And it's, and it's in a picture when you see it in the Hebrew. Look there for Jehu. So he's got, he's got instruction, uh, gird your loins, grab this oil because you're going to anoint somebody and go to this place at Ramoth Gilead. We've got everything listed. I mean, this is perfect instruction. And then look for, what to look for when you get there. Well, who am I looking for? Jehu. Jehu means Jehovah is he. Look for Jehovah is he. The specific person. The son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Notice how the word of God gives the entire genealogy here. Uh, this is pretty good orders from the word of God. Um, and go in and make him rise up from among his comrades, his associates, and take him into an inner room. Get alone private with him and give him the word of God. What are you going to say to him? Take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel, then open the door and flee and do not delay. Isn't that pretty amazing? Israel, of course, is not all of the nation of Israel, but just the ten northern kingdoms. Remember, Joram is sick. He's on his bed. Ahaziah has went down to visit him, and now God is moving uh, in another place, and he's going to take care of both Ahaziah and Joram and judge their houses and bring about new kings to fulfill his plan. Uh, because, listen, the long-suffering of God is long-suffering, and it's, it's beyond what we can understand, but eventually justice comes. Eventually judgment comes. Eventually God fulfills his word in his time, his way, for his glory he does not lie. So he tells him exactly what to do. And he says, don't delay. Now, just to point out that God prophesies what he says and then comes again and does what he says, look at 1 King 19. When we see Elijah, 1 King 19, we see that this would already been said. So you could look at it like a prophecy that God was going to do, and now he's fulfilling it in the day that he's doing it. 
in 1 Kings 19, 16. Now, it is remember that, 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 that in, I think it was 18, is it 18? 18, Elijah has this Mount Carmel victory where he kills all the prophets of Baal. And then he gets up and he's scared to death because Jezebel said, I'm going to do the same thing to you before the day's over. And he runs and flees and he hides and God is taking care of. See, this is what the devil wants to do with his lying uh, uh, witchcraft, with his sorcery, with his pharmacy. He wants people to flee from him in fear, even though they just have great victory with God. Then all of a sudden they think God's not on the throne. And even God's prophets, Elijah, which means the Lord is God, he did this even. After this great Mount Carmel victory of defeating all 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, he flees from Jezebel because of her evilness, because of this flesh and blood that she's right there saying she's going to kill him. And while he's doing that, God speaks to him and he says, you know, I, I can't go through it all. It's chapter 19. He speaks to him in a still small voice. And then he said, because he keeps asking, uh, Elijah, what are you doing? Now, why is that important? Because in the New Testament, James, Jesus' half-brother, tells us we have a spirit just like Elijah, who prayed that it wouldn't rain for seven years, and it didn't rain for seven years. Same spirit can work in us if we will surrender to God. It's not about Elijah. It's about God. That's why when he won that victory, everybody was going, everybody was bowing down, going, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. Well, in Hebrew, they're saying, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. Now, Elijah can receive that praise. Or he can say, no, it's not me, it's God, and he can point the glory back. But at the same time, some of those people screaming, Elijah, Elijah, some of them's heart were really looking at the man, and some of them knew that it was they were saying the Lord is God. And God knows the heart of all those people that were available there. Where is your heart? Are you looking at men? Because if you're looking at men, then you're going to eventually fear man. But if you're looking at God and you see the spiritual battle and you know that it's God who is doing this and you learn what he's saying and what he's doing and what he's always done, then we grow. But what does he do here in verse 16 and 17? As he's running and he's not even obeying God, he's freaking out. He still gives instruction to Elijah and he tells him where to go, what to do. Where are you at? No, alone am left and they're going to take my life. He says in 15, then the Lord said to him, go. He didn't say it meanly like I just did. That's what I do. Just to enunciate the word. Because see, we've been told to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Did God tell him to go figure it out? Did God go tell him to go do it in your strength? That's what he's been doing is running in fear in his strength. God told him to go, and I'm going to do it. Look what he says. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Oh, the oldest city on the planet that's never been destroyed. It has a woe pronounced, Isaiah 17. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Melio, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. 
Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Listen to me. There's always a remnant. There's always a remnant, even when God brings judgment. And see, this is the, like the prophecy of it going to happen. Elijah was told about it. It's already been said it's going to be done. And now we're going to see Elisha come in and do it, his servant. Well, his servant might have been standing there. I don't know. I don't know if Elisha would. Oh, no, he's going he's gonna to go do that. Remember, he does it in, in chapter 19. He throws it on his, he's plowing his field, and he comes and calls Elisha. Uh, and he says, well, can I say bye to my family first? And he goes and burns the, the ox with the plow and cooks them and has the last meal with his family and goes to follow Elijah or to follow the word of God. And see, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to burn our earthly implements and begin following God. No more fellowship with the world. And our fellowship is with God. Like our memory verses this week in Revelation 3.20. So here he is, he's going, this has been prophesied, now it's being fulfilled. We see that on our planet today, on the landscape of the world today. It's been prophesied that there's going to be a one world order that comes in. It's the government of the devil, but he's not got any power except for what God's allowing him to have to test the hearts of men, to eventually bring judgment. It will end in this same valley that we're getting ready to be in, in Megiddo. It's going to end in the Valley of Jezreel in the Armageddon battle after the tribulation. Sorry, I get ahead. My brain goes crazy. So he tells him what to do. Look at verse 4, chapter 9, 2 Kings. So the young man, this child, it's called a young man, the same word, sons. Uh, it's all the same thing. It means a youth that's being trained as a prophet to foretell the word of God. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, notice he's a servant. We're all servants of God. And if we're servants of God, we should come underneath the government of God who's given authority over others so that we all can be in the same thing, doing the same thing in the body of Christ to see souls saved. Went to Ramoth Gilead. Why did he go to Ramoth Gilead? Because that's what the word of God told him to go. Why did we come to... Williamsport, to Attica, to this area, because this is where God told us to go. Sometimes I show up and there's one person in Bible study and I go, Lord, why did I go to Attica? Why did I go to this area? And he said, that's where I told you to go. So no matter what happens, I have to show up because I'm being faithful to God, not to people, but to God. And when I'm faithful to God, he'll be faithful to bring souls to salvation. And I'm not real good at that. I'm not trying to point at me. I grumble a lot. Ask my wife. Even though the Bible says uh, uh, that we shouldn't. It says, do all things without grumbling or complaining in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation where you shine as stars. They were supposed to be leading people to the loving, long-suffering God, not to the grumbling, complaining God. So I shouldn't misrepresent God. I apologize. Verse 5. And when he arrived, so we know he went, we know he got there because God told him to go there. He always goes before you. There were the captains of the army sitting, and he said, I have a message for you, commander. Think about that. If you just speak into a room, look who answers. Jehu said, for which one of us? 
Now notice that because we see Jehu speaking first, he's already the natural leader of the room. We see him speaking first. It wasn't Bob said, which one? Jehu? You know, it was Jehu who already speaks up. When something happens, he's already there. He's already out front. He's already involved. He's already ready to go into the war. So Jehu says, for which one of us? And he said, for you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house. And he, so they're in the inner room is what that means because that's what they were told to do. Take him along. Take him alone by yourself. And he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, the Lord God of those governed by God. That's what Israel means, one governed by God. I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel, the northern kingdoms. You shall strike down. Look at this. You shall strike down. Why? Because he's already said he's going to rule, he's going to judge this house. And the long suffering is over, and it's time now for this house to be destroyed, the house of Ahab and Jezebel. Verse 7 You shall strike down the house of Ahab your master. Now listen, Ahab's dead. Ahab's dead. Right? Do you remember that text? It's over in 1 Kings. Um, oh, it's either 14 or 15. That God said, I'm going to judge you, Ahab. And he, and he tore his clothes. And he repented. And God even testified of it and said, look at how he's repented. I'm not going to do it right now to him. I'm going to do it in these next generations. I'm going to do it later. Because he repented in front of me. I'm not going to destroy his house right now. So now it's coming. God relented. Listen, God is not looking to destroy us. Ezekiel 38, 16. No. Oh my goodness, 2811? 28-11. Says that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No pleasure. But why, why does he have no pleasure? Because he gave his most prized possession, his son, the blood, so that all would come to repentance. He doesn't want to see any of that blood wasted that's going to be sacrificed on the cross some 2,000 years later from this day, he doesn't want to see any of it wasted. When you give your most prized possession, you want to get as much as you can get for it. And God gave his son. He doesn't have any pleasure in judging anybody because his son has already taken that judgment. But the great, the great uh, 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 verse that goes with that is Psalms 116 where he says, Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? Because the fulfillment of all the payment that he made with the blood of his son is when you cross the finish line. Yet we sit around in fear, afraid to die. And God's saying, oh, it's precious when I get you into my house because now I know that you fully accepted that blood and that that payment was not wasted that was made for you. Oh, that we would get this word. Oh, that I would get this word and be able to stand and walk by faith as God has commanded us to do in that love relationship with him. So God anointed him king over Israel. Verse 7, you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master. Ahab means a uh, 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 father's brother or friend of his father. Look at this. 
he's a friend. He's a murderer from the beginning, just like the devil was. That I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. Listen to me. One day God is going to judge all the blood of his servants from the beginning, from when Cain slew Abel all the way to through the tribulation and people are going to die that are going to get martyred and their heads are going to get cut off. Listen to me. Remember the saints that are underneath the throne of God and they say, how long, how long? And he says, just a little while longer. One day we're going to be walking streets of gold. He's going to avenge it. Vengeance is mine, say the Lord. You don't have to, to go out and try to get even with anybody. God is going to take care of it. God is going to get them. He's going to avenge the servants of Jezebel. Now, Jezebel, remember, this is very important, means Baal exalted. Baal is her husband. It means that she is unchaste. She's, she, you know, we've been betrothed to Christ, Paul says, as a chaste virgin, pure because of the righteousness of Christ. But she is so unclean. For the whole house of, verse 8, for the whole house of Ahab shall perish. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. For the whole house of this murderer shall perish. One day that judgment will be brought. At the end of the tribulation, the whole house of the father of all lies is going to be judged. The synagogues of Satan. And I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Remember that? And like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. You can go read about that in, in 1 Kings 14, 15, 16. And, and he prophesies this. He says this is going to happen. And he judges those houses in their time when he'd long suffered with them. Jeroboam set up those golden calves and told the children to... Now listen, that's so, so amazing, isn't it? It's what God does. He brings a, a more evil person against the people that he's trying to get to repent. Why are we getting attacked by, 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 uh, by Muslims on 9-11? Because he's bringing a more evil nation against a nation that he wants to repent. And we make bumper stickers that said, we will rebuild American pride instead of repenting. Why, why are these things going on? God always brings a stronger nation against a nation that he's going to judge. And he still comes back and judges that nation. Remember when he, when he brought a, 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 a death upon Jeroboam, and then he judged the house that judged Jeroboam. He's telling now Jehu to go do this, and he's anointing this to happen, just like China attacking America. He's anointing this to happen because the long-suffering of God has went on long enough with our pride and our arrogance and our, and our continued ignorance of the Word of God, and all of us stand accused, just like the prophets. Lord, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our waywardness. Forgive us for our famine in the word of God that we would ignore the word of God and build our own little broken cisterns and our own little churches and allow people to continue to go to church and be ignorant of the word of God and not encourage them 
to love and good works. God has long suffered long enough with these houses and he's going to destroy all the men so that they cannot continue to promote their evil through the seed of the Father. Oh, make no mistake, that's where it's promoted from. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but it comes through the male lineage. Why else would Jesus be born with the Holy Spirit? And the first Adam could not pass any sin onto him. But the Holy Spirit is his father. Look at verse 10. What a prophecy this is. The dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel. Now Jezreel means... God sows. That's what Jezreel means. On the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. Disgrace. No funeral, no marker, no one to remember her. One day God will wipe out the memory of every evil thing. When we're in heaven, there'll be no more tear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. You won't remember the evil that have went on. It'll be glory beyond anything that we have suffered or compared down here. One day, it's all going to be wiped away. I didn't say they would be gone. They would be suffering and torment in hell. This is such a, this is Jezebel, who's not even going to be remembered. Oh, we're talking about her right now. But there's no marker for her. And he opened the door and fled. Why? Because he's scared to death. Because the earthly governments do not respect the prophet or anybody that would do this. Now, he anointed him with oil. Remember that? And that means that it's God's anointing. It means, listen, anointing means to rub oil or to consecrate, to set apart for God's service. This is a, 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 a man that's going to commit some pretty heinous things, but he's being allowed to do it by God. Now, God didn't put him in his heart. God's telling him to judge that house and destroy that house because that's a wicked house. Remember how he did it when the fullness of the Canaanites had come? Remember how he sent the nation of Israel across the Jordan and told him to kill every man, woman, and child? Kill everything because the fullness has come and it's time to judge because his long suffering was over with with these people that had continued to reject him. He gave them 430 years to repent, and they didn't before he brought Israel across the Jordan. Maybe 470 if you count the 40 years that they were in the wilderness because they were disobeying God. Think about during Noah's day. He gave them 120 years of Noah preaching righteousness to them before he brought the flood upon the earth. God is long-suffering. I don't give people 12 minutes before I get mad. But God gives us eternity sometimes. Forever it seems like. Why has he not judged these nations, these people that reject him? Boy, I'm just glad he didn't do it before I got saved. See, so we need to understand the mercy and have some compassion and some mercy and still want to share the gospel, which is the only good news that they may ever hear. And it's the only thing that's going to save their soul is when we go and tell them the truth. Now, that's what this servant just did. The word of God told him where to go, what to say, what to do. He gets there, and guess what? Then we find out that there was more to the message than what we've seen in the first couple verses. Go there, take a flask, oil, flee. He tells him more in that. 
that you're going to go judge this, you're going to go do this, you're going to go kill this by, by you becoming king. So he told him a lot more than what we've seen Elisha telling him to do. Now, I don't know whether it was the anointing upon that servant at the time or if Elisha really said all of that and it's just not recorded back here in 1 through 3. I'm not sure if there was more that the Spirit anointed him to speak at the time. But listen, you and I, the same way that this oil was rubbed over Jehu to do the work of God, he was consecrated, set apart to bring vengeance for God upon an unholy lineage of Ahab and Jezebel. The same way you and I have been called and consecrated and set apart by God through the Spirit of God to go and share the Word of God to others so that when it pricks their conscience, then they can choose whether they want to obey or not. And sometimes you have to flee when you tell the truth. Sometimes you have to tell the truth and then get away because people don't want to hear it, but you still have a message to deliver. You still have a word to give that lines up with what God's doing on the planet because he said to go and tell these people that. And you are not responsible for how they react to it. Listen, because watch how they react to it. Watch how they react. I'm not responsible for how people react. I'm just responsible for delivering it, for allowing the anointing that God has given me, for allowing the gifting that he's given me and to use it and then other people have to decide how they're going to obey it or disobey it or walk away. Verse 11. Now remember, he opened the door for him and then he fled. And that's what you do with people's hearts. You tell them the truth, it opens the door for them, and then you get away and you let God deal with them and the Holy Spirit deal with them. And they can either choose to come to God or reject God. But I don't want them coming to me. You know, I was in a house the other day and a lady had a mask on and a couple of them there and she goes, you're Greg Tyra. You saved my husband before he killed himself. And I'm like, uh, no. And I didn't say anything because I didn't want to be rude to her. Uh, but I told the guy with me later, I go, listen, I don't save nobody. But I wasn't going to stand there and have that conversation. God saves people. But a lot of times people think because you say a prayer with them or you talk to them about Jesus, you save them. We can't save nobody. If I save you, I'll put you in a bucket of quicksand. You will die real fast. I can't save you, but I can tell you the word of God. And it's we need to understand that. We don't bring people to Harvest Chapel. We want to bring people to Jesus. If they come to Jesus, they'll be saved. They come to Harvest Chapel, that's where all liars go. I say in jest. So he fled. He, he told him the truth and he fled. He was being a messenger. Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, the other commanders sitting there, and one said to him, we don't even get his name, is all well? Why did, the, why did this madman come to you? See how they think of him? And he said to them, you know the man and his babble. Now listen. This is what they think of the message of the gospel and the word of God that comes from the prophet to the servant of God. They think it's babble. They think that we're madmen. They think that we've been doing this for years and that they become scoffers. And that you can say this and say this and we don't care. Remember when, when, when Lot was telling his son-in-laws in Sodom and Gomorrah, come on, God is getting ready to rain down fire and brimstone. They thought he was joking. And they wouldn't even listen. 
He's a madman. He's got a bunch of Babel. The truth is, that's what the government of the lie is, is a Tower of Babel. And they said, a lie? Tell us now. What did he tell you, a lie? See, they're calling the word of God, the truth of God, that comes from the prophet of God, through the servant of God, a lie. And much of the church is doing that today. They don't know the word of God, so they call it a lie when you tell them about the truth of what's going on on the planet. So he said, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Now listen to what he said. When he spoke that truth, what happened? Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps, and they blew trumpets, saying, Jehu is king. Isn't that interesting? Now listen to what they did. He's a madman. He's a liar. What did this nut say to you? Oh, we like that part. He said, you're going to be king? Yes, let's believe that part. Let's just take that part out. Let's believe that. Let's blow a trumpet. Let's make him the powerful one so that we can be around him and be part of his henchmen. See, they took the part they wanted to believe, and now he's no longer a liar. Now he's no longer a madman. And they blow trumpets and tell everybody about that. They declare it everywhere. Are you okay, sweetheart? Are you that way with the word of God? You mock some of it, but some of it that you like, you take it and you go, but God said he would take care of all my needs. But then when you get in a little bit of trouble or you get in a little bit of pain or you get in a little bit of suffering, it's like, what's going on? Is God mad at me? No, it's all part of it. Through much suffering shall we enter the kingdom of God. We have to take all the word of God. All of it. If he's God, he's God all over and if he's not God, he's not God at all. And if this is his word, then all of it's his word. Or he's let somebody else mess up his word, and then he's not God. Verse 14. So Jehu, Jehovah is he, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Notice we get all of his uh, genealogy again. Conspired against Joram. Inspired means he worked treason against Joram. Now, Joram had been defending Ramoth Gilead, he and all Israel, against Haziel, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him when he fought at Haziel, king of Syria. Remember, we got that right at the end of uh, chapter 8, 828. And now we knew that Haziel, or, uh, Ahaziah went down to visit him while he was sick. And Jehu said, if you are so minded, let no one leave or escape the city to go and tell it in Jezreel. Do you see that? He looks at these other guys and he says, don't let nobody leave the city if you're so minded, if you're on my side. Because they could run real quick and tell Joram that he's conspiring tre treason. Don't let nobody tell. Is that, is that what they're doing, silence in the planet today? Don't let anybody tell the truth. What's going on? 16. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel. For Joram was laid up there. And Ahaziah king of Judah had come down to see Joram. And so we basically in 14 to 16. 
got the end of chapter 8 <clears throat> with a little more detail. 17 says, Now a watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel. Jezreel means God sows. And he, remember, God's the one that prophesied this. God's the one's allowing this. God's the one that's saying, "You're going to get it's, you're, my long suffering only lasts so long, and I'm going to bring judgment." And God has anointed him and consecrated him to do His will. Now, it doesn't mean that he's a perfect person, but God did the same thing with Pharaoh when He confirmed His heart. I have raised you up to show my mighty power on the earth, because He continued to reject God. So God used him. To show how strong he was when he delivered the children of Israel, plundered the entire nation of Israel, killed all of their soldiers in the Red Sea, and at the same time he baptized them into Moses, and they all went into the wilderness and began to grumble and complain. But that's another text, and we'll move on. He rode a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there. And Ahaziah come down to see him. Now a watchman stood in the tower of Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came, and he said, I see a company of men. That's what a watchman's supposed to do. Warn the city. If you're a watchman and you warn people and they receive it, then you save them. But if you warn them and they reject it, then their blood is upon their hand. We're told by Ezekiel, are you a watchman? Do you know the word of God? Are you hearing the voice of God? Are you being led by the spirit of God and telling others the truth of God? Because we're called to be watchmen. We're called to be watching. And we're supposed to reveal truth so that people will not follow lies. And Joram said, get a horseman and send him to meet. And now remember, Joram is sick. He's in bed. He says, send the horseman out there to meet them and let him say, is it peace? Is it peace? Isn't that what we're looking for? We're at war with God. Listen to me. This is, this is, this is, the horsemen are getting ready to come. Horsemen are getting ready to come. If you're running with the foot soldiers and you're not doing good, what are you going to do when the horsemen come? The battle's getting ready to get heavy. You need to know the word of God. Is it peace? So the horsemen went to meet him and said, Thus says the king. He's going to say, Is it peace? four times in this text as we get moving. Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace from God? So he goes out and declares the message that the king said. Is it peace? What does Jehu say to him? Jehovah is he. He says, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported saying, the messenger went to them, but is not coming back. Listen, you might be running in one direction. You might be living for the devil. You might be in sin. Do you have peace in your sin? Is it peace? See, these people that are living for, the, for, for Joram and are against God and getting ready to be judged by God, they know nothing about peace. They know nothing about peace. And that's why Jehu says, what do you have to do with peace? You're serving an, an evil king. You're serving one that's judged by God. See, how can we live for the devil and live for ourselves, live for the world, and then say we know about peace. 
The only way to know about peace is through Jesus. The only peace that's ever been given is through the favor of God from Jesus' blood. That's the peace. It's Romans chapter 5. We have peace because we're justified by the blood of Jesus. Covered because he took our sin. He took the punishment. And God is long-suffering. He doesn't will that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But what have you to do with peace? Do you represent the son of peace? Do you represent Jesus, the king of peace, as Hebrew calls him? Turn around and follow me. This is what God would say when he consecrates and sends us out. And he sends us on a mission with him to go out and share the gospel. He would say, turn. New Testament, it's metanoia. It means to change your mind and follow him. You might go out to battle in one area, but you need to turn and follow God. You know, the very word, uh, what is it? The very word conscience in the New Testament means co-perception with God. I was going this direction, and I found out what God said, what God meant, what God was doing, and now I'm joined with His plan, with His will. I have one mind with Christ, one mind with God. Co-perception. I've turned and changed my mind, and I'm in the way with Him. I'm following Him. I'm no longer riding this horse and being a watchman for the enemy, but I have peace with God because of Jesus' blood. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus says the king, is it peace? And the same answer, no matter how many you send out, what have you to do with peace? Turn, repent around and follow me. Get in line with what God is doing. God is bringing judgment. Get in line with what the word of God says. We're at the end of the age. Are you awake? Are you hearing what the Spirit would say to the church today? So the watchman reported, saying, He went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshai, for he drives furiously. Isn't that funny? The word means madness and craziness. He's driving like he's serious about doing the will of God. Are you, are you, listen to me, listen to me, listen. You can't meander in the word of God. You can't meander in the will of God. You can't play with it. We're supposed to be diligent about what God has called us to do. Peter says, be diligent to add to your faith. God says that you're supposed to be diligent. What? Oh, what's he say? Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For you first must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Listen to me. You can't meander with it. You can't play with it. You need to be furious about it, but in a nicer way. You need to go about the Lord's business being led by the Spirit and be serious and diligent about getting it done, what He's called you to do. There's people dying and going to hell. We're supposed to be walking circumspectly. The time is short, very, very short. Then Joram said, make ready. Now he comes out. Oh, really? And then what happened, Gregs? Oh, it's good. This enemy comes out and he's destroyed by the will of God. Watch this. Make ready 
and his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out. Doesn't matter how many kings, how many kings joined together. It just so happens there's two of them in the valley of Megiddo. I think that's what we're going to see in the Valley of Armageddon. When, when we come back on white horses with Christ, I think we're going to see that Islam and communism or Marxism, whatever you want to call it, are getting ready to fight each other to decide who's going to be the ultimate power because they're joined together on the planet right now trying to deceive and the devil is using them as a one world order. And we're going to come back and they're going to have to join again and God's going to destroy both of them with his will, with the word of his mouth. He'll destroy them there in the battle of Armageddon. And the blood will be up to the bridle of horses. Doesn't matter how many kings join together. Doesn't matter how many people. There's no wisdom or counsel against the Lord. Then Joram is 21b, king of Israel, Ahaziah, king of Judah. Both of these kings that are, we see the apostasy going of Judah. And the only reason Judah was preserved is why? Because God had said in his own voice, in his own mouth, and told David a, a, an oath that he would never remove completely the kingship from Judah. There would always be his seat on the throne. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He's always going to be on the throne. Always. Where am I at? Let's close this out. And they went out to meet Jehu. Met him where? On the property of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now it happened when Joram saw Jehu, he said, third time, is it peace? Listen, they're trying to bring peace. That's what's going on on the planet right now. They're going to bring peace because everybody's going to all be on the same page and raise up the one Antichrist that rules over us all until we realize that he is indeed enthroned by the devil. But they're looking for peace, and, and, and the only ones that right now on the planet that is not allowed to have peace is those who know the word of God because we're saying no. We don't, that's evil. That's wrong. But they're all joining together as one. Saying, is it peace? Is it peace? We're going to peace and peace and prosperity and destruction come suddenly upon them. So he answered, again, watch this, what peace as long as the harlotries, the whoredoms of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. Witchcraft are so many. Sorcery, magic. Listen to me. Remember, we've talked about this a bunch of times. Revelation 18, 23, the great merchants of the earth deceived many with the witchcraft, with the sorcery, with the pharmacy. Is it peace? Yeah, if we all get a vaccine. Yeah, if we all get this shot. Yeah, if we all get this same thing and do the same thing and we get rid of these people that won't, there'll be peace. What peace will there be as long as this harlotry and this sorcery goes on? From one who is, what? Married to Baal? That's where she come from. Her dad was king in Phoenicia, Baal temple. They brought the Baal worship into the, the, the tribes of Israel. And Ahab married her, knowing that she was a Baal worshiper. 
knowing that she was worshiping the devil, he married her anyway. Then Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, Treachery! Ahaziah, now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Joram between his arms. And the arrow came out of his heart and he sank down in his chair. Notice where it hit. Notice where God's always after is our heart. Is it peace? God's moving to your heart. And there's some dead hearts. Arrows have been shot by God. They perfected a shrewd plan and God is uh, getting ready to shoot an arrow. That arrow is Jesus. It's his righteous right arm. That's the arrow. Remember, uh, a full quiver of children? Well, God's only got one in his quiver and it's Jesus and he's already sent the word to heal the land. He shot that arrow. It's Jesus and it's going to go through your heart. Will it kill you or will it give you life? Then Jehu said to Bidkar, that's a really strange name, isn't it? His Bidkar was his captain. Bidkar means by stabbing. It's an assassin with a stab. That was a really weird word. Pick him up, throw him into the track of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember when you and I were riding together behind Ahab his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now therefore take and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. Notice it was a prophecy of God. Notice again it was according to the word of God. Everything that happens is according to the word of God because God's word will live forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will live forever. Now what was this about? Remember? Ahab, the king, has everything, and there's a there's a field right next to him, a land that belongs to Naboth. Remember this text? And Ahab decides he wants to plant a vineyard. He wants to eat good and get some carrots and some cucumbers growing. And he goes over to Naboth and says, sell me your field. And he says, no, I can't let go of my father's inheritance. This is what God has given me. I can't sell it to you, king. I'm living for God's government. I'm following God's government, not your false government. And so what does Ahab do? You would think he's a king. He would do something. He goes in the house and lays on the bed and starts crying and whining and whimpering. What happens then, Greg? Well, if you go read the text, it's in uh, 1 Kings 21. His wife comes home, Jezebel, and says, what is wrong with you, sissy? This is this, this is the street version. And he says, Nabal won't sell me the field. I wanted to plant a herb garden. She says, I'll take care of it. She takes his signet ring. She writes letters to Jezreel, to the rulers, and says, throw a party Make Naboth the head of it and, and rejoice and talk good about him. And then hire some bad guys to come in and say that he blasphemed the king and God. And then take him out and kill him. And they steal the inheritance. Now listen to me closely because this is what they did to our Lord Jesus. They raised up liars. This is what they've done to Christians all along. To raise up liars. 
They've raised up false truth and false reports and propaganda to destroy the contract and the government of God. And that's what they're doing again. They want to destroy the government of God. And so they try to kill the people of God. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize, on the mark. They'll, don't let them steal your inheritance. Don't let them take your field. Be at work in your field and make sure you're tending it and keeping your eye on it and doing the work that God is anointing you to do. Or they'll come and take it and you'll find yourself dead. But when Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the road to Beth. This is the other king of Judah who's joined with them. Instead of speaking out against the northern tribes, they begin to want to have peace also. And it's false peace. You see it in the church today. A lot of people that know the word of God are agreeing with the apostate church so that they can bring some type of peace in the world. And you can't do that. You have to proclaim truth. Not emotions, not feelings. Not lies, not propaganda. Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw this. He fled by the road of Beth Hagen. So Jehu pursued him and said, Shoot him also in his chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Iblim. Then he fled to Megiddo and died there. And his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in the tomb with his fathers in the city of David. See the honor that he still got? Because of God's promise to the southern tribe, to David, to the tribe of Judah, he was given a good burial. In the 11th year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah became king over Judah. Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, here's Jehu, he's in victory, he's already killed them both, he's coming in to Jezreel, which is where the northern tribes were ruled from, it's the capital city, Jezebel heard of it. Listen, every time you go in victory, what happened with Mount Carmel victory with Elijah? Every time you're living in victory, that Jezebel is going to come and try to attack. And you've got to deal with it properly. You can't run and flee from fear. You've got to trust God. So here's Jehu. Jezebel heard of it, and she put on paint. Now, this is a black powder with mixed with oil. That's why I say you got to be careful. It doesn't mean every person that wears goth is evil, but putting on black and stuff goes all the way back to Jezebel. Boy, she put on makeup that looks dark and evil. It was on purpose, and we're supposed to avoid the very appearance of evil. I'm not being a legalist. I'm telling you to wake up, church. She put on this paint on her eyes and adorned her head. That's why she thinks she has power. That's what a head is about. And she looked through the window. Then as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace? That's the fifth time, or the fourth time. Zimri, what? Is it peace? Zimri, my music, is what Zimri means. What is she saying? You're the music to my heart now because you've killed everybody? What is she saying to Jehu? She's trying to woo him with her eyes made up, and now he has taken over, and she wants to deceive him and try to take his uh, heart from him away from doing the will of God. Zimri, she calls him my music, and then she says this with slander, murderer of my master. Really? Killing the servants of Baal? Murderer of my master. And he looked up at the window and said, 
who is on my side. See, he knows what side he's on. He knows he's doing the will of God, and she's doing the will of the devil, of Baal. Who? So two or three of the eunuchs looked out at him, and he said, throw her down. So that's what you do with this speculation. You cast it down. You thrust it down with force to destroy it. You don't listen to the lies of the devil. You cast them down. That's what the word of God does. It casts down speculation against the word of God. And every high thing that exalts itself against the word of God. And you've got to do it quickly. Notice his decision was instantly. So they threw her down. And some of her blood splattered all over the wall on the horses. And he trampled her underfoot. That's pretty serious. Jehu, he trampled her underfoot. They threw her down. The blood splatters everywhere. And then he tramples her with his horse. I believe that's what's going to happen in the valley of Megiddo. The blood's going to be up to the bridle of the horses. That the horse of God's wrath, that that white horse that he comes on, a horse may be a peace. Because now there's going to be peace. When all the enemies of the cross are defeated. And he's going to trample their blood. Because they trampled his blood. That he offered for their salvation. They trampled it underfoot. They're going to be thrown down. And when he had gone in. He ate and drank. Oh is that. Behold I stand at the door and knock. Is he going to eat and drink at the wedding supper. Then he said go now see to the accursed woman. Then is he going to come out and finish the judgment. The white throne, the cursed woman, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. Even, even a little bit of, of uh, uh, respect there paid at the burial. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. So much we might talk about in the next lesson. Therefore they came back and told him and said, and he said, Listen, he said, notice what he said. Why did he say it? Because he was told it by the servant of the Lord. What word he hear from? The prophet of the Lord sent the child of the Lord to tell him when he anointed him with the oil. He said up in verse 10, the dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel and there shall be none to bury her. Oh, just in case some do-gooder wanted to bury her because she was laying there trampled underfoot. God took care of it. The dogs ate her. Look at this. Why, what did he say in 36? This is the word of the Lord. He knew the word of the Lord. He knew it was prophesied. He knew she wasn't going to get respected or burial, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. Yes, Elijah said it all the way back in 1 Kings 21. It was already said, and then it was repeated here. The word of God is well respected. It's well read. It's well said. God does not just say things to be saying them. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. And here she dies in the same place. Look at this. Saying, on the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. This is the plot of ground where Ahab wanted to put a garden. Oh, everything started in a garden? And the government of Satan wants to take over the garden. And he kills to get the garden. And he brings fear to get the garden. And lies to get the garden. But there's no wisdom or counsel against God. 
And if you trample his blood that sets you free, he'll trample your blood. And there'll be no respect. There'll be no burial. There'll be nothing left. And the corpse of Jezebel shall be a refuge on the surface of the field and the plot at Jezreel. God sows. That's what that is. He's sowing justice. He's sowing judgment. So they so that they shall not say, here lies Jezebel. He's sowing no marker. Look at that. They can't say, here lies Jezebel anywhere because her memory will be removed completely. Jezebel. Baal. Married to Baal. Baal exalted. Husband of Baal. Husband, or Baal is my husband. Who are you married to? Which government? What's your authority? Listen. We don't want to be trampled underfoot after trampling the blood of Jesus underfoot. It's time for the church to wake up, to surrender, to learn the word of God and to see and ask God to give you eyes to see and hear what the Spirit would say to the church and to live for God and tell others so that they can be set free. It's going to get worse. Jehu kills 70 sons in the next chapter. He begins to clean up the house of Ahab. Why? Because he's destroying everything that God said would be destroyed. It's all going to happen exactly the way God said. Not because God's predicting it, but because God is outside of time. And he's telling us what he's going to do. He's telling us what we're going to do if we don't repent and receive the blood of Jesus. Remember when... uh, he picked Haziel as king, and he said, what am I, a dog that I would do that? And what does he do the next day? He told him his heart. He didn't repent, so he went in and smothered the king and killed him. And he became king. And that's what happens. We are the dregs. They used to call dogs. Remember that? That was Gentiles. Remember that New Testament? When the lady asked Jesus, and, she, and, and he said, I've not come for the house but for the house of Israel? And he says, yes, but even the little puppies, the dogs, eat the crumbs that fall from the table. What crumbs are you eating? Are you eating from the devil's table? Are we eating from his government? Are we believing the lies that create fear that make us stop trusting God? Listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God loves us. God loves you. God wants you to surrender to his word and not to believe the lies of the devil. The government of the devil always uses force and fear and lies, and it's fake. It's not going to stand. It's not going to stand. It's going to be trampled underneath the feet, the power of God. It's already defeated at the cross. Father, we thank you. Thank you that it's forever settled. There's no wisdom or counsel against you. Lord, if there's anything in us that would depart from following you, we pray for mercy and that you would lead us by your spirit. You would hold us by your grace. You would keep us forever. Thank you for that great salvation, Lord, that you've given us and promised us. Thank you that we can be covered in the blood 
delivered from our sin nature and transported into your kingdom for your glory for such a time as this. Wake us up, Lord, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The Lord bless you.